welcome to the 35th episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is Independence for Advisors with an Offshore Client Base, a conversation with Merrill Lynch Breakaway, Lisa Van Walligam, CEO and founder of Maximi Investment Partners. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as iTunes and other resources. The growth of independence has been fueled in part by the many advisors who feel that they've come to a point at their firm where they can no longer serve their clients' interests to the best of their abilities. And this becomes an even greater issue when your client focus is more specialized, as my guest in this episode found. Lisa Van Walligam was a Merrill Lynch advisor for over two decades. She joined the Wirehouse back in 1992, bringing with her a globally diversified book of business from the Bank of Tokyo. At the time, Lisa felt that Merrill provided the right environment to build her business, serving an ultra-high net worth international client base. Then, with the takeover by Bank of America just after the financial crisis, things started to change. The firm shut down offshore branches and asked her to close accounts in certain jurisdictions. Lisa grew uncomfortable with the increasing limitations placed on her and her team and knew it was time to make some tough decisions. So in 2016, she and her longtime partner at Merrill, plus a few key support people, left the firm to form Maximi Investment Partners based in Coral Gables, Florida. And she joins us today to share her story. Lisa, thank you so very much for taking the time with us today. Thank you, Mindy. I'm so pleased to be here with you. I'm very lucky. So I know there's lots to talk about. Let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about Maximi, if you would, Lisa. Where did the name come from, first of all? Well, the name comes from the Greek word maximum, which is maxim. So maxim serves as the basis for our name. Back in 1998, my partner and I, we wanted to come up with a name for a team that kind of captured our philosophy about how we felt clients needed to be treated, you know, how it reflect our business and reflect our investment philosophy. So we decided on Maxim as the basis, but at the time we were also one of the top teams that invested in alternative investments. So that's the AI at the end of Maxim. So it's Maxim AI Investment Partners. And what happened also is that when we decided to leave Merrill, we thought that we should keep our name. Uh, our clients uh, appreciated that we did keep our name, our identity, and our philosophy. So I love it when the name of the firm closely aligns with who you are and the work you're doing for clients. And speak of clients, tell us a little bit about the kind of clients you serve. Great. So our clients share key elements. Uh, They're global citizens. That means they have roots in different places around the world and they have businesses in different parts of the world. Uh, Most of our clients are successful entrepreneurs, uh, people that have built their businesses from the ground up. Uh, They're first or second generation wealth creators. All of our clients, they're very family oriented. They have very much in common. So our largest client base comes from Latin America, primarily Venezuela, Panama, Peru, and Mexico. And we've just recently hired a key advisor that lives in Uruguay and will focus on new business development for us in the areas of Argentina and Chile. 
So we're hugely excited about that next chapter. And finally, the Caribbean is another key area for us. Over the course of the last 25 years plus, I've been actively working with these first and second generation Indian families that have built successful businesses throughout the Caribbean islands. And that's a source of pride for me because I've earned their respect and confidence and they're a huge source of referrals. The average net worth of families that we serve are in the range of $30 million. And, and that's a good description of, of our client base. Yeah, well, it's quite a client base. Congratulations on, on the growing success of the business. What kind of work do you do for your clients primarily? Well, everything that we were able to do at Bank of America, we can still do today and more, actually. The difference is that now our services are more tailor-made. So nothing's prepackaged or cookie-cutter. We partner with our clients in all aspects financial. So we are able to simplify everything and empower them to make smarter choices. So we have a fully family office services approach to our, our business. So we help our clients in the domestic and international estate planning stage. Uh, we customize portfolios that address very specific client investment goals, including tax minimization strategies. We do have a lot of clients that are transitioning from offshore international to U.S. based. So they're moving to the U.S. and they're starting to modify their portfolio. So that's one of the things that we're able to do for them in a very seamless way, which is help them transition their portfolios from offshore to onshore to domestic. We also partner with our clients to, to help them see their portfolios uh, using this financial software we call Adapar, uh, which has been a beautiful thing for us because we're able to look at everything in a macro and micro way and, uh, and work with our clients to identify the weaknesses in their overall asset uh, allocation. And, and we reduce fees. We focus, of course, very much on reducing fees for our clients. The other thing we do for them that they love, and I kind of mentioned that before, is that we really, we either introduce them and we coordinate really the work that they do with accountants, attorneys, insurance professionals to integrate all the necessary elements that they need for the for this transition that they're doing from offshore to onshore. We are no longer handcuffed to working with just those professionals that are hooked up to the larger institutions, you know. Uh, so those are some of the things that we do for our clients that's different. One last thing I want to mention is that we focus very much on the next generation. So we do a lot of educational seminars, which we call global investing programs. We teach and mentor the children or grandchildren of our clients. And these programs, they last anywhere between three to five days. Uh, we usually do them over the summer. And this for us is the first step in working with our clients to help financially educate their next generation. So we teach them the basics of budgeting, the importance of savings and investing, we invite speakers and, and we make it fun and informative for these kids. We generally stay super connected with them. And once they're in college, we work with them on internships. We coach them for interviews. We provide help with resumes and we get very involved with them at the next level. So those are the other things that we, we are able to do in a very proactive manner. It sounds like you've built an extraordinary high-touch business. How much in assets do you manage in total today? We're currently managing $240 million today. Got it. And Lisa, can you tell us a little bit about your background before starting Maximi? I Obviously, you, you were with Merrill, but for how long? And what was your experience there? And what were you doing before Merrill? My background is actually in banking. 
In the 80s, I was lucky enough to work at three major money center banks. Uh, each of them had a strong presence in international banking, trade, and wealth management. They were Continental Illinois, Irving Trust, and the Bank of Tokyo, all of which have disappeared since then through acquisitions. But working at those three key institutions served to be the best school of experience as I worked with lending teams. I've worked with private banking teams. I traded currencies. I did so much. That's when I started traveling throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. And I started building my client base. These clients are today the foundation of the clients that are here at Maximi. So when the opportunity came in 1992 to move to Merrill, you know, I already had a solid background in banking and wealth management. And I had built a strong relationship with many of my clients, so they followed me. It was a natural move away from traditional banking over to the investment world. I came from very humble backgrounds, Mindy, and I have to say I'm very grateful for the success I've achieved so far. But it's been through these great institutions where I've been able to gain so much experience uh, that have brought me here to, to maximize, to, 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 to even to leave Merrill Lynch and to start an independent financial wealth management firm. So, Yeah, what a great story, Lisa. So I'm going to come back in a little bit to the things you mentioned about, to ask you questions about things you're able to do now that you couldn't do for clients while you were at Merrill and how you formed a full family office services business, et cetera. But I want to focus for a minute just on the notion of going independent. So I know you left Merrill about two years ago to form Maximite. And while independence has certainly become more of a mainstream option today, going independent seems to happen less often for the internationally or globally focused advisor. So can you talk with us a little bit about your thinking behind the move? Sure. We became so unhappy and frustrated after the Bank of America takeover. I mean, we worked so hard to keep the clients unaware of all the changes the bank was forcing on us and on our business things that were not in the best interest of our clients. Uh, they were basically shutting down the offshore business by closing or selling out our international business. You know, it was like a slow death. There was a huge disconnect between the financial advisors and management. And it's true, the move to independence is not as common for international advisors. The main reason advisors are reluctant to leave to make the decision to leave is really that they've become way too comfortable in the way things are. They've lost their passion and they are so drinking the Kool-Aid. When we decided to investigate the options seriously, we realized two important things. Number one is we already had seen a move by Latin American clients, particularly the upper echelon, ultra high net worth clients. They were already forming their own wealth focused family offices or hiring personal advisors to represent them in their best interest. And number two, we realized that independence in the offshore world was still considered rare for the average client. So the majority of the Latin fortunes today, the, the Latin American fortunes today, are still in the hands of bankers and brokers. But that balance is changing rapidly, right? So when we realized that we were in a very early stage of this transformation, giving us an incredible opportunity to go after these client families, so for those individuals or those advisors who are still sitting in an office in the U.S. serving offshore clients, they're more and more competing with independent advisors like us. You know, we are the advisors that dare to leave and we're becoming the preferred advisor for these clients. 
I love what you just said, Lisa, because I find the same thing. The whole definition, I think, of being an RIA or a fiduciary is separating safe asset custody from advice and product manufacturing. And that family office model is very familiar to the ultra high net worth space and especially the offshore ultra high net worth space. So I think what you're validating is that that world, the more affluent clients have been used to the notion of this family office like model. You just had the courage to be one of the first to really leave the brokerage world and prove it. I agree with you. And what's happening is that this change, this transformation has been happening within Latin America. But for those of us that live in the U.S. and that service clients from the U.S., we have been more comfortable doing it through one of these larger broker dealers or banks that have traditionally been in Latin America for 50 or 60 years. So in many cases, our clients parents or grandparents were clients of these larger institutions. So that's why now when the person that can make the decision is in the U.S. and can become independent, that whole process is is newer, but it's definitely something that they have been seeing locally in their own countries. Yeah, well, it sounds like newer for the advisor who needs to take the leap of faith. But I think what you're saying is that for the client base or the prospective client base, it's much less foreign, no pun intended, than advisors may think. Correct. It is. Yeah. Got it. So Lisa, do you consider yourself a serial entrepreneur? And what I mean by that is someone who always knew that you wanted to be a business owner, or was it something that just sort of came to you over time as you became more frustrated uh, with Merrill? Truthfully, I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur, yet now I can look back and and I can say, yeah, I had many of the ingredients of an entrepreneur early in my career. The truth is that I loved my time at Merrill. It was such a great school of experience, you know, and Merrill once used to welcome this international ultra high net worth client, and they allowed us and helped us build a great environment to meet their needs and, and us to grow in our business. But after the financial crisis, this Bank of America took over. Uh, The truth is that Merrill died that day. And so Bank of America was just never comfortable with the international wealth management business at all. They didn't understand it and they wanted no part of it. So one of the most impactful changes for me when Bank of America took over was the loss of my voice as a financial advisor. You know, Bank of America had this top-down approach that was a very tough pill to swallow. The inability for me to advocate for my clients and for our business, that loss of control affected me deeply. And I think that really was the turning point where this entrepreneurial spirit of mine that was always in there came out. I had to do something to be able to control my future to be able to control and, and, and advocate for my clients. So I have to say that it was always deep down inside. It was always there. And it came out as a result of, like you said, these, the frustration that we had, all of us had, that only got worse and worse over time. Yeah, and I actually think that that's more common than not. I think certainly there are serial entrepreneurs. You talk to advisors that'll tell you they had a lawn mowing business when they were 11 and they, you know, just 
the entrepreneurial DNA deep in their soul. But my experience is the majority of advisors going independent are doing so because they're entrepreneurial to a degree. They're, they don't shy away from it. But the desire to go independent was born more out of frustration and a really strong desire to protect their clients and make sure that they will retain control of their professional destiny. And I think the way the ecosystem has been born to support the independence with firms like Dynasty Financial Partners that you know well, it makes it a lot easier to do so. Agreed. Agreed. So as you began to explore, as you became more frustrated with Merrill, were you 100% certain that independence was the next step for you? Or did you also explore other traditional brokerage employee options? Well, at that time, we were ready just to go completely independent uh, because we wanted complete control. My partner and I really had many opportunities to move to other competing firms. We really never seriously considered it. I had no issues with passing up those deals because really at our at my stage in my career, I didn't want to get tied up for another seven or 10 years in a contract and remain in a situation where, again, I was not able to control my destiny. Most importantly, really, I didn't want my clients to remember me for moving firms at the end of my career for a big cash payout. Mindy, the reality is that the international client is very sophisticated. They know that every time their banker moves from one institution to another or their broker, they do so because they get a big payday. They're not lying to this, you know, and what's happening is that more and more you hear about the client airing out the fact that their XYZ broker just moved to another firm and they know why they moved in there. They don't like it. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you about the clients in just a minute, but tell us a little bit about your team, if you would. Your partner, were you all aligned in your goals and, and how has the team felt about the move to independence? Well, first, let me tell you that I have an incredible team. Again, very blessed and grateful uh, that I am. Uh, originally, we were two main partners at Merrill and we shared all of our business for over 20 years. We had a junior advisor on our team. We had a senior investment analyst on our team and a client associate. We were eight at Merrill. And at the end, five of us left. Today, my original partner has since retired and the remaining advisor and senior investment analysts have both become partners and owners of my firm. So it took time for my original partner to fully agree and align himself with the rest of us. He was close to retirement. He was expecting to receive an attractive sunset package. However, when we both reviewed the terms that Bank of America was proposing for us, we felt that that was terribly unfair, especially because they were refusing to ensure that further international markets were not going to be shut down, which would obviously leave me in an upside down situation with regards to the monies owed to the firm to cover his payout. So in the end, when they refused to negotiate the terms, my partner jumped on the bandwagon towards independence. And once he was on board, we quickly made all our plans, you know. And how did you make him whole or how did you get him comfortable with the ability to make up for what I assume you're referring to as the funds he would have gotten through the CTP program? Right. Well, what I was going to say is that with the help of Dynasty Financial Partners, which you had mentioned them earlier, they really did a lot to make this transition possible to educate both of us on all the ways that we can make him whole. And they were part of the solution that we 
put together for him, which was a, a package that was a year and a half out after we launched. And he was fully engaged with us at the beginning, visiting our clients, making the transition. Remember, it's different for us because our clients don't live here. They live in Latin America and the Caribbean. So we were on a plane every week to a different country uh, with different documents, with our presentation, with our pitch. And he was there and he was all part of that. So a year and a half later, we were able to you know, sunset him out. The dynasty helped in creating an agreement. Uh, the firm was obviously making money. We were we were in a good place and we were able to make that happen for him. So in the end, everybody wins, you know, because when people decide to leave, everybody has something to lose, but so much to gain. And, and we, we saw the glass was half full for us. Yeah. And it sounds like the biggest winners were the clients. And certainly it sounds like you've really set the business up well to thrive. So let's pivot to that. How did the clients react to the news that you left Merrill to open your own independent firm? And your comment a little earlier about the fact that in the in the offshore world, the notion of independence or the family office model is much less unusual or much less foreign to these folks. Was it all positive? Were there any dissenters? How did that go? Great question. So yes, the news was a surprise to the majority of our clients. But you know, once we had the opportunity to explain the reasons why we left, we shared with them things that were happening behind the scenes that they really that we really kept from them about how Bank of America felt about the international business. They really, they all understood. And the next step for us was to educate our clients about the differences between working with an employee of an institution and working alongside an independent advisor. I think that was a key part of our communication with the clients initially when we left, um, explaining to them the difference between the fees, the tra- fee transparency, what it means to be a true fiduciary. A lot of the things that we had to counter actually were the fear element that Bank of America, Merrill Lynch was, you know, telling our clients about what we were really doing. They weren't explaining it correctly and they were causing a lot of confusion. So anyone leaving a traditional broker banker to become an independent has to realize that they're going to have a lot of fear uh, put on to the client because the client doesn't really understand this business. So there's a lot of education, patience, explaining, but clients get it. At the end of the day, it took a little bit more time than we originally anticipated with some clients, but our goal was to expose the realities of the business we left behind, explain the details of all the hard choices people like my partner, Jim, and I had to make in order to make sure that this move worked. And most importantly, why we did it, we did it for them. And people get, the clients get it. They really all got it eventually. So I want to talk a little bit about the things that you're able to do or anticipate being able to do that you couldn't do as an employee of a brokerage firm. So you mentioned a little earlier that you're able to replicate everything that you were doing for your clients at Merrill. 
And then you went on to tell us the exciting news that you had just hired an advisor in Uruguay, and you're excited about that. Is that something you would have been able to do at Merrill? How did that potential advisor or that new employee react to the notion of joining a firm named Maximi that he may not have heard of? Would he have reacted the same if you were at Merrill? Talk to us about that a little. Well, let me just start with that last part. So that's interesting because earlier I had said that in Latin America, the whole idea of a family office is more common than people think. So in Uruguay in particular, it's very, very common. So there are many ultra high net worth families that have created their own independent family offices. So what happens is that independents like us in the States kind of partner with those independent family offices in Latin America, whether they're in Peru, Argentina, Chile, Uruguay. So we partner with them because they still need a direct stepping stone into the U.S. market, into a Fidelity or into a Charles Schwab or into a Pershing. They need a stepping stone. And that's where we come in and we can partner with family offices throughout Latin America. So this advisor that we hired, he's not only bringing in particular clients that he is familiar with that he knows, but he is also approaching multifamily offices and family offices in Latin America so that we can partner with them. And so that opens up a brand new, uh, you know, uh, a brand new highway for us, so to speak. So we're extremely excited. And because this gentleman that we hired is an ex-Merrill gentleman who was at Merrill for over 30 years, always working in Latin America, he knows the differences. So for him, uh, he was thrilled to know that he can work again because he had just retired. He can work again without having that complex bureaucratic ceiling on top of him. It's just him and me making decisions. So it's really quick. So again, going back then to answer the first part of your question is what are the things that that we couldn't do that we're doing now? Boy, we're just more proactive. We're more flexible. We find solutions quickly for our clients and we solve them quickly. This is a standout difference from how things are done at these larger institutions. Can I share an example of something that just happened this morning? Please. Yes, I, I got a call from a client that's been trying to open an offshore account at a U.S. bank for the past five months. The advisor has no clout, no control over the bank and over, and the client is livid. And so these are the things that we don't have in our world, which is, and it's an incredible thing. On the investment side, uh, the difference is that we have the ability to find very attractive investments. You know, we associate with firms that have a strong differentiating factor. Um, for example, a lot of the firms that we work with, if not all of them, they're either uh, very boutique-y, uh, they refuse to have a revenue sharing uh, relationship, so the larger banks and broker dealers don't offer them on their platform. We have access to those managers, they're excellent managers, we bring them to the clients. As a RIA, we have access to clean institutional share mutual funds, which are a huge difference. Um, we offer clients also access to these very good top funds that have very high minimums. 
which are only available to institutional clients, but we, we were able to get our clients in there. Uh, last, you know, not last, but another differentiating factor we bring to our clients is the ability to show them a consolidated view of all of their holdings at multiple institutions. I touched on this earlier, but giving us and giving them a bird's eye view on all of their holdings across so many different platforms, that's really outstanding. And we do that by using this Adapar product, which is an independent tech software platform that allows for account aggregation. So those are some of the things that Dynasty, our partnership with Dynasty, allows us to bring to the table. So that's huge. Actually, I'm grateful you shared specific and tangible examples because I think for a lot of folks, whether they're internationally focused or domestic, it's a little amorphous. You know, people say, oh, we can serve clients better, but they don't really understand what that means. And so that example of a client that's been trying to open a brokerage account overseas for five months at a major bank is a pretty good example. But one of the things I know is that especially for an offshore focus advisor, access to research is critical. How have you replicated that access as an independent advisor? Well, the truth is that we have access to Merrill Lynch advice, which is what we had before. But the truth is that we have access to many different uh, providers. Why? Because all of these providers want to sell us something. They want us to show their clients something regarding their investment firm. So what they do is they send us their research. We have access to all of the big firms out there, banks and brokers, which is great. On top of that, again, with our association with Dynasty, another thing they bring to the table for us is they bring to the table a whole book of research that we can access, things like Newberger Berman, uh, Callan, Bespoke, and there's so there's a lot of research that we receive that we could have never gotten from just being in one firm. And the clients have all enjoyed that because when they ask us for what's our view on Apple, just to give you an example, I can shoot them five reports, one from Merrill Lynch, one from Morgan Stanley, one from UBS, one from Deutsche Bank, and like that. And that's something I could have never done at Merrill. Love the example. I think the example is great. Is there anything else, Lisa, so other than research that you access to support your business at Merrill that you had to find a way to replicate as an independent? Well, yes. So one of the great things about being independent is that we're able to use different sources uh, to to help us through. For example, uh, again, New Dynasty, uh, they've been very helpful and they are able to help us outsource a number of activities that at Merrill we would get, you know, in a baby sat form formula. So for example, compliance, which is huge in the international space. Uh, it's huge to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row, that you have proper AML procedures, that you have proper ways of documenting the know your client so that all the custodians that you work with are comfortable that you have all the right procedures in place. So compliance is huge. Uh, and that's something that we are able to access directly with the help of Dynasty and then also for other RIAs that aren't working with Dynasty or that have been independent for a while. There are uh, we just there are ways to outsource that. So compliance is one is one of the things. Marketing is another. 
um, all of the things that we were we were able to have uh, really uh, at one firm uh, we can have as independents cheaper easier. So from your vantage point, Lisa, is how ready do you think the independent space is to support an international business? So said another way, is there anything that you found not ready for prime time or anything you needed to do that you had to really figure out a new way to to handle? I believe that we're ready. It's ready. It's been ready for a a decade at least now. I mean, the large institutions really do a great job of keeping advisors blind and kind of stupefied. But today, there are multiple custodians willing and able to work with international clients. Uh, There's no longer, it's no longer just the banks. Now we have custodians like Fidelity, Charles Schwab, INTL, FC Stone, Pershing, and others. You know, our firm has access to all of those, but we, we prefer Fidelity. That's our main custodian. They have been extremely welcoming to us and to our global clients. So we're very thankful to Fidelity for that. And we have Dynasty Financial Partners to thank also for the entry into Fidelity. Fidelity only works with, for example, international clients that come through pre-approved firms like ours. So an offshore client can't go to Fidelity or most of the custodians directly. They usually need to go uh, they get into the custodians by working through firms that have been pre-approved. So in addition to the multiple alternatives on the custody side, though, independence also allows for finding better investment options like separately managed accounts, direct access to hedge funds, private equity firms, you know, without all the expensive wrappers that are often part of the average fund at the larger firms. So there are since there are no avenues for revenue sharing on the independent side, the excess return bounces right back to the client. So yes, I think that the international business is prime for the independent space. I think the time is now. That's a great statement. What are your longer range plans for the business? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we're solidly looking to grow our footprint. That's for sure. Um, Like I said, we just hired somebody in Uruguay and we're looking to add more like-minded advisors, people that can roll in under our brand and improve every aspect of their client relationships, along with improving their own quality of life. So uh, the idea is for Maximi to grow. We're like a private club, an exclusive membership feel that we want to maintain as we grow. So in the future, you know, I'd like to continue forming these partnerships with like-minded firms across the globe. So not only Latin America, but we also have our eye on Europe, especially Spain. That's a market that we're looking to grow, and we just want to have a global footprint. That's my vision for, for Maximize. Yeah, well, it sounds like you'll get there for sure. And what about your own succession plans? So what do you think your end game is, and what does the next gen of Maximize look like? Well, I've been already prepping the next gen. I have, like I mentioned to you, two young management members of our team that came over from Merrill and are today, I'm proud to say, partners and owners. They, at at some point, uh, will take control. But to be honest with you, this move to independence has been extremely rewarding just personally for me. I love my business. I love what I do. I am completely re-engaged. That's one thing that going independent does. 
It like brings back the love and the energy for the business that everyone once had at one time. We're beaten down so much at these institutions that we just become, we become like jello. And the reality is that it's a beautiful business. When you can relate to a client, when a client shows you all the confidence and they're proud to be with you and they advocate for you and they introduce you to all of their friends and their relatives, you know you're doing a good job. And so I'm re-engaged. So I can't even begin to think when I'm ready to slow down, but I'm going to give it another at least eight to 10 years, Mindy. That's my plan right now. Love it. Love it. So Lisa, last question. With two years hindsight, and if you had it to do all over again, is there anything you might have done differently? So any sort of warning words or words of wisdom you might share with your uh, brethren that are still captive at the wirehouse world? I don't think I would have done anything differently. I would say that it is important to have legal counsel walking you through the steps becoming independent, how to prepare for it mentally and business-wise so that you do everything correctly. You leave the firm in good order and you start your firm in good order. So having legal advice, I, I think it's huge. The other thing is you have to embrace this because it's happening. The wealth management business is in major transition. Once you make the decision, it's going to be great. I mean, be ready for a 24-7 personal and mental road trip that could last several months because you just don't have time to to think too much. It's just execution, execution. It's always a challenge, but the beauty that you're in control makes up for it. Uh, never look back, you know, and as I mentioned before, a good solid team is key. So be very selective as to who is on your team because that will be tied to the success of your launch is your team. Lisa, thank you so very much. Believe me, we could spend hours and days because your uh, wealth of wisdom. We're going to come to an end, and I thank you so much for everything you've shared with us, and I think a lot of people will find it to be really relatable and grateful to you for your comments and your time. You're doing so much good. I'm so happy to be part of it. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Such a great episode. Lisa left the School of Experience at Merrill Lynch to launch a true multifamily office with a global focus, where she is able to offer clients a better experience, including a consolidated view of their holdings and access to more attractive investment solutions. She's free to brand and market herself more authentically and to be more proactive and flexible. But most importantly, she feels a renewed sense of engagement and enthusiasm, something she felt she was losing in the wirehouse world. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with Jim Gold, the CEO of Steward Partners. Steward's model has really resonated with advisors who are looking for the benefits of independence, but desire a more wirehouse-like or traditional infrastructure. Jim was tenacious in his efforts to build out the steward model as he envisioned, and that tenacity has paid off. This former Morgan Stanley Executive Director has a great deal of experience and knowledge to share, so I hope you'll join us. Until then, I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. 
And if you're not already a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening. I also want to thank wealthmanagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.